And we are back. Kevin's Corner, Kevin Bowen, Chris Presley across the way. Happy June. Um, boy, I can't believe June is actually here. Uh, we're on Baby Watch a week away, a week from Wednesday. I feel like it's really hit me now, Chris. I'm like, oh, my God, June 10th. It's June, uh, the sixth month of the year. Yeah. Yeah. It comes quick. <laughs> yeah, it, it's here. So uh, shout out to my wife. We'll see uh, what the podcast looks like the rest of this month. Um, we're recording this on Tuesday morning, June 2nd. We'll hopefully be back next week. We'll see if uh, Baby Bone comes early or whatnot. But then we will take a little bit of a break and – uh, we, we will get back into it, and as of right now, I mean, the NFL operating business as usual. We'll see, uh, you know, what, what happens to training camp in late July and whatnot. Um, but, yeah, hopefully all things schedule-wise will continue to stay the same, and we'll give you podcasts once every uh, once every week throughout, uh, throughout the summer. Uh, today's pod, we'll focus on breakout players. I feel like that's kind of a popular topic this time of year. There are two that really stand out to me. Um, we'll get into those, and we have a ton of Twitter questions from last week that were kind of left over that we didn't get a chance to get to, um, so we will hit on that. Um, so before we get into, obviously, the meat of the podcast, and you guys know full well, listen to this podcast, uh, no one is listening to this for Kevin Bowen's political views, um, but with everything that's going on right now in the world, and even how Frank Reich addressed things on Monday with his Zoom call for the first 10 minutes, I'd be remiss not to um, talk a little bit about, um, you know, what, what happened in our city, driving down here this morning to our MS Communications studio, which for those of you that don't know, it's on the circle here in the city of Indianapolis. 95% of businesses boarded up. Um, just kind of shocking signs um, for a downtown that I've seen grow up kind of in front of my own eyes and and love working down here and, and love to kind of living in this area for for several years as well. Um, but I thought Frank Reich was outstanding yesterday mm-hmm. in how he addressed things. Um, one thing that I am always reminded of in this community, and I'm sure you actually see it as well, Chris, you know, Pacers and Colts-wise, those two teams have unbelievable character guys. And we can make the debate, and we often do, about, okay, where's the fine balance between talent and character and all of that. But to see what Malcolm Brogdon did down in Atlanta, um, and I know full well there are Colts players doing things behind the scenes that maybe aren't out in the forefront of it. But to hear Frank Reich's words, and he kind of, he got into that preacher mentality of his background, um, it it, it is awesome to see. And I just think the moral of, of everything to me is simply, Let's just be good freaking human beings. Absolutely. And it sounds very simple, and I know that the root of it is probably much deeper than that, but simply it's everyone treat others with respect. And luckily I was raised that way. Um, I, I grew up in Carmel, Indiana, which is, you know, 90-whatever percent white. Um, but – Compared to, I would say most of my friends growing up, I probably was exposed a little bit more to some forms of discrimination. My uncle is African-American. I have mixed first cousins. My dad taught in a heavily segregated school district. And my mom even taught kids with mental and physical disabilities. So at a young age, I was kind of, you know, really ingrained into me of like, Kevin, there are a lot of others out there in the world. And to have that level of respect for everyone is an absolute must. And it's kind of a prerequisite for certainly the Bowen family and should be for every human being. 
And that's all that I'm really going to say about it, um, that we all can do our, our, our part, and I think our part starts with our own actions, and that's simply treating people with, with a level of respect that um, every human being should be required to do, and that goes for skin color, r- religious views, um, how people look, talk, walk, whatever you want to do there. I was exchanging a few DMs with, with my guy Stan Cal, who you know our, our listeners know is a loyal follower of this podcast. He lives in Minneapolis just to hear his perspective on things and how his life personally, professionally have has been impacted by this. I, I talked to my cousin on Sunday who lives in New York who actually had COVID at one point and just to hear, again, his point of view and his impact on things. I thought Frank Reich was outstanding in saying, I've got to listen. I've got to listen to my players because they are being impacted in different levels than maybe I am being um, directly impacted by it. So, um, you know, listening to it and simply just acting and being a good effing human being. Sounds simple, but I think we got to get back to that. So I know this podcast is a break for a lot of people. I don't want to, you know, hit on it any, any longer. Um, Like I said, no one listens to this for, for my political views and you guys know full well, what are we over 200 podcasts into this thing? I don't rant about many things on here, but uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, at least mention uh, briefly here at the start, and uh, we'll get into uh, more of the cult-centric chatter for what uh, everyone is listening to this podcast for. Yeah, I think, Kevin, that was well said, and I think every listener to this podcast agrees or should probably agree with with what you said. Be a good human. Absolutely. Be a good human. Very simple. Um, Let's all do our part. Well, getting into the Colts side of things, breakout players, yes, breakout players yes. from each side of the ball. What are we looking at this year, Kevin, going into the 2020 season? Who is going to break out on the offensive end? Who is going to break out on the defensive side? You know, it, it is a popular topic th- th- this time of year. Um, shout out to our guy Cheeks in studio right now. You guys will remember Cheeks from uh, Claws with Bowen. He's uh, he's filming the podcast. So for our YouTube people out there, hopefully uh, you enjoy Chris and I's ugly mug. Grace and your uh, your stream, but l- l- let's start offensively. And um, this is probably the more popular one. I think if you go to the defensive side of the ball, Chris, there's probably a debate with a couple of younger guys. And typically, when you hear breakout, you do think of younger guys. But I I will go with Paris Campbell. Um, and first off, I thought great news last week. Pa- Paris talking about how he's been healthy and running routes for two months now, and. It's one thing to be healthy, which obviously speaks, you know, for itself, but it's another thing for a guy that his game has got to grow. He's got to become a complete wideout because at Ohio State it was, okay, here he is, this Percy Harvin gadget type, Urban Meyer background type player, and then he gets to the NFL and the Colts are adamant. He can become a complete wideout. Like, we didn't take him wherever he was, 57 overall, something like that just to be a gadget player and just to be a kick returner, we think he can be more than that. And he only plays in seven games last year. He misses all of that practice time. He has got to be healthy. And while this spring, I think, is holding him back in a way because he's not able to be you know, in a full team setting and getting 7-on-7 seven seven and 11-on-11 11 11 work and with the Colts, the fact that he's healthy and is able to train and run a full route tree and has done that for two months now, that's important. Um, I thought he was really honest in talking about how he has two goals for this season. One, a goal was to have more of a strict routine in the offseason. I mean, he, he talked about 
art, A-R-T, like a cute something-something release technique or something like that, some sort of training method that he's doing. He's doing massages three days a week. Uh, I'm talking to the training staff more, you know, better nutrition. You know, it, it just goes back to it takes a lot to be a pro. Mm-hmm. And I think he is realizing that. And unfortunately, it hit him the hard way at rookie with all those different types of injuries and whatnot. So, um, cheek, slide over here if you want to get on the old, get on the old laptop. Um, but it goes back to kind of the Naeem Hines thing that I've talked about before of Hines struggles with all those fumbles mm-hmm. as a rookie during the preseason, and yet Colts are drafting these higher character guys and they feel like they can overcome the adversity that inevitably hits every rookie. Rocky Seen had some adversity during his rookie season. We'll get into him a little bit later in these podcasts over the summer. But for a guy like Campbell, who, you know, he graduated high school. He went to St. Vincent, St. St. Mary's, where LeBron went. Um, dude graduated high school at 16. Nuts. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I was just hoping for a couple, you know, a couple armpit hairs yeah. at the age of 16. Keys of the car. And yeah, I mean, just, gosh, can my voice not crack when I talk to a girl at a football game? Like, you know, like this is just kind of, this dude is growing up fast. Yeah. And so I think there's a level of maturation. He's got a young family um, that the Colts feel like is there with him as well. Uh, so I am, I'm excited to see him healthy and in Frank Reich's offense, he, to me, is one of the more unique chess pieces. And I'll get into this a little bit more with our other guy that we're going to mention here as well. But I, I talked about this when, when Campbell was drafted. You watch his big plays at Ohio State. What stood out to me was they were plays that they gave him the ball behind the line of scrimmage. They gave him the ball on a screen. Uh, little dump passes, you know, little crossers that are, what, three or four yards down mm-hmm. the field, and then yep. he does the rest. It is simple, high-percentage touches for him to go make a rare play. And by that, what I'm meaning is this is not Phillip Rivers. You have to take a seven-step drop. Your O-line has to protect for five seconds. Your wide out, in this case Campbell, has to go beat his corner and that safety and get behind the last line of defense, and then you've got to throw a ball that's on the money, and he's got to catch it. That's a lot of factors yeah. to go ahead and check off the box. With Campbell, he's a guy that it's like, no, no, no. Jet sweep, screen, high percentage touches where the pass rush can't get to you. You can say, all right, here's the ball. You go make a play with the ball in your hands, and that is a unique weapon to this offense and um i think that's needed and i'm excited to see how all that unfolds it is and and back to your point about the maturity coming out of ohio state that's one of the things the colts coaching staff loved about him was his hard work and his leadership for that program yeah it wasn't just four three you know and and frank wright got intoxicated and those are his words about watching paris campbell run four three at the combine last year and seeing that mini route tree that the combine wideouts do inside of Lucas Oil Stadium and thinking that speed on that turf, mm-hmm. you know, that is that is very, very attractive. Um, but there is more to it than just the 4-3 speed, and it goes back to the Heinz thing of his ability to bounce back. Um, 
but I, I, I just think there's more there than just the Percy Harvin aspect to him. And, and even if he was only a Harvin, I think that's still a very needed chess piece in every offense. I think it's a unique um, sort of one-on-one mismatch guy that you have, but I still think there's a little bit more there. Um, we all remember what he did in camp last year early on. I remember what he did even in that Cincinnati um, preseason game, the only preseason game that he played in last year. You know, I think everyone was still crying over the Andrew Luck retirement, but that was a game where Campbell played and showed off that burst and just he's got a different gear. And last year we saw it a little bit when he played. Maybe it was injury related, but there just wasn't a whole lot there. Like mm-hmm. seven games, a hundred and some yards, seven yards per per catch. Not great, great numbers. And the injuries, you know. They, they speak for them themselves of, like, hamstring and training camp. Doesn't need surgery on that. Hernia early in the year. Needs surgery on that. Breaks a hand against, what was it, Pittsburgh maybe? Needs surgery on that. Uh, breaks a foot against Tampa Bay. That finally ends the season. Needs surgery on that. But I just think that he is an X factor to this offense and compliments T.Y. Hilton and Michael Pittman really, really well. We'll see if he grows into that complete wideout. That is a little bit down the road. But I still think from a four touches, six touches, 70 yards, here's a big kick return, he can be a player that's really unlike any other um, in terms of the skill set you have on this offense. Okay. So that that's your offensive breakout player this year. Moving to the defensive side of the ball, same question. Who who's who's built for a breakout season? Yeah, and it's kind of funny because I go back to speed again, and I go back to a second round pick as well. Um, a lot of people would probably go with Bobby Okariki. Mm-hmm. I'll go with Kamoko Ture because I think he plays a more impactful position. You know, Okariki could be on the field for 80 percent of the snaps, and I'm not saying he will be because I'm yeah, I, I like Anthony Walker, but even if he is. Kamoko Terry can be on the field for 20 snaps and impact the game in a bigger way than Okariki can. And that's just the nature of the position. And so I go back to this similar to to Campbell. I'm not saying Campbell needs to play 90% of the snaps, but what I like about both these guys is obviously the speed is something that you can't teach, but they can make the quick game-changing plays, and these guys don't need a lot of maintenance. Right. They don't need a lot of... You need A plus B plus C, A squared plus B squared. No, you don't need all of those things to happen to get to them. They can just go do their thing, and you really don't have to scheme a whole lot of it up. Campbell, a little bit more so. But Ture, especially, you're the speed rusher. You're the dominant edge presence of a blue trait, get up the field, and wreak havoc. Go do that. Um. I asked Frank Reich about Terry last week, and he mentioned that he's got the length, he's got the get-off ability in terms of just that quick first step snap-wise, but the thing that Reich is adamant about that he has, that he still meshes all those things together, is the bend. And that is a very, like, scouting, you know, 201 term of, like, he's got great bend, You you can see it coming off the edge, and, like, I'm not trying to channel my inner, you know, Joey Molinaro, Mel Mel Kuyper voice here, but when guys bend, they often lose speed. Mm. 
they feel like Ture doesn't lose speed. So when he does dip, he still is a 4-6 rusher at 6'4 and 255 or whatever. I think he might even be listed at 6'5. Um, and, and that's what separated him coming out because he went to Rutgers, which is already a black eye. Mm-hmm. They're in the Big Ten. The dude had 14, I want to say, sacks in four years. I mean, yep. you know, Cheeks, Chris, and I can get, you know, 12 sacks in four years. Like, 14 sacks in four years and you're a second-round pick? That doesn't happen often. And the reason why is because the Colts are like, no, no, no. There are traits there to develop him into something more. They knew it would take some time. My worry is, can he stay healthy? I think that is the biggest worry because he had a neck issue kind of his rookie year. Last year, he you know dislocates and fractures the ankle against Kansas City. God, that was a gruesome injury. Um, if he can stay healthy, though, let's face it, he's got a hell of a coach teaching him Mathis yeah Yeah, that's pretty darn good and I'm glad you brought up Mathis because I think what Mathis has ingrained into him is you can be this freak athlete you can throw 101 you can have the nasty curve you can have that 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 change up that everyone thinks it's fastball coming out of your hand but you've got to know how to pitch you've got to know how to set up your your pass rush moves. I'm doing this in the first quarter because I know there's going to be a big rush in the third quarter or fourth quarter on the third down, and the offensive tackle is going to think this, and mm-hmm. I'm going to counter with, with that. That is, I think, where Mathis comes into play so much of like, you know, you have a role this Chapman stuff. Let's pitch like you're Greg Maddox. Yeah. Like that that sort of aspect to it. Back-to-back weeks with, with baseball analogies on this podcast. Don't say we only know football. Well, this might be the only baseball we get, so. God, don't say that. Baseball's got to happen, right? They aren't that dumb, are they? Are owners that dumb? <laughs> at, at this point, I'm thinking maybe so. Um, you got to play. It's America's pastime. July 4th, start it up, boom. Everybody throw in there. You know, you play 70, 80 games. People will be more entertained if you play 70 or 80 games. They're going to be more locked into it. Right. It's a playoff race the entire time. Boom, exactly. Baseball, don't be stupid. Um, but again, you know, can when when you're in your stance and you're in that get off right away, can the speed rush look like the bull rush? Can the speed rush look like a spin move? Can it look like, you know, just a one-handed stab? Like all of those different things. I think that is where Mathis comes into play because let's be honest, offensive tackles are extremely athletic and they are at a premium position. And they can handle a lot of athletic moves on the opposite side of things. So you've got to become a more complete rusher. So I, I, I do think that's been a big part, or has needed to be a big part, of Ture's maturation. Um, and, and this one, to me, this means a whole lot to the future of this football team. Because when you look at that defensive line group right now, DeForest Buckner, unquestionably, is a future piece. Yep. But then you look at that group and think back to the guys in contract years. Justin Houston, Danico Autry, mm-hmm. Sheldon Day, um, Al Kadeen Muhammad, a guy that I know Chris Bauer loves, especially on on rundowns. You know, those guys are in contract years. Ben Banigou, okay. A year younger than than Ture, but like, okay, let's see something. Mm-hmm. Taquan Lewis, same age as Ture. Let's definitely see something. There are some. There's a lot of depth and a lot of pieces in that defensive line group 
but their futures, eh, it's it's not it you know it's not crystal clear. Not crystal clear. Turry's got to prove himself this year as healthy. I can be a double digit sack guy, and I deserve a second contract here in Indianapolis because if he does that, now opposing offensive coordinators have to sit there on a Tuesday night and say. Guys, they got Buckner in the middle, and they've got this Ture guy coming off the edge that has this dominant speed trait. Um, cons- consistency. That's it. Keep up the weight. You know, that has been a big thing for him. He played at like 230-ish his rookie year. He's got I, – I don't know if he'll ever be a three-down guy, and I'm, I'm okay with that because if he can be a pass-rushing specialist – and be a 10-sack guy, that is enough for me. I think you have depth, and to Chris Ballard, that D-line group means so much that he's always going to have a bunch of guys up there. And this year, like, for example, I just posted it earlier today on 107bythefan.com. Jabal Sheard's gone. Mm -hmm. No one has started more games in this defense. No one's even close to starting as many games as he has under Chris Ballard. I think Hooker's like 11 games behind him. So how do you replace Sheard? Terre on third down, the early downs, get Autry, get Lewis on the field, Al-Kadeem Muhammad, Banigou, whoever can stop the run. And then Terre is kind of, he's your IndyCar package. He's the guy that comes on the field on third down and uh, and does something for you. So I think the maturation has been there. You know, he was benched in his rookie year, healthy scratch, one of those games because, you know, he didn't have great practice habits. I think there's some maturation. Um, but, boy, man, he, he means so much. He means so much to the future of this football team. And uh, I, I, I think it's on the front to make up for the back end. And by that, I mean this. I don't think there's enough schematically to do a whole lot in coverage. So I think your rush has got to be there. And that's where Buckner, Ture, Houston, those guys come into play. So I'm in line with you on Campbell. I do want to ask how far up that list of breakout players on the defensive side of things are you when it comes to Willis? Oh yeah, he he is a good one. Um, you know, I think the thing with Kari Willis, and, and this is no knock whatsoever, he was too solid for me as a rookie to almost put him on this list. Yeah. Like I, and I also don't know if I see a crazy high ceiling. I think he'll be a really solid player. Um. You know, could it be an Antoine Bethea, like something like that? I mean, you'd sign up for that in an absolute heartbeat, of course. But to me, Ture just plays the position that matters the most on defense. Of like, if you can get a guy that has two or three rushes a game. I mean, think back to, you know, that that Kansas City game of what Ture did then. Yeah. I mean, he like helped injure Patrick Mahomes in that game and was just making a it was a banged up offensive line for Kansas City making those guys look stupid. So I like Willis a lot. I just think he's already pretty consistent and already pretty solid that I just don't think that like he set the bar so low as a rookie that he can make this big jump. I put guys in this category of like Okariki, Banagoo, um obviously Ture, uh maybe Rocky Seen, Marvel Tell, like those guys. I just thought Willis was good, man. He was uh and then admit, admits the everything he was dealing with from a personal life standpoint. Shout out to Zach Kiefer's article yeah. for the Athletic. If if anyone missed that, but um, I don't know. Maybe I'm a sucker for the speed, and just kind of Ture and, and and Campbell have these 
these great testing numbers and it's like develop them. Yeah. Because you, 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 I see what the Colts see, but the development has got to be there. And, um, yeah, those are my two guys. Cool. Should we hop into Twitter time? We should. Um, let's start with Steven. Uh, so he wants to know, or he's saying it's been well documented that T.Y. Hilton needs to play well this season for the team's success in a new contract. How much will the will how much will the progression, pardon me, or lack thereof of Pittman and Campbell affects the Colts' decisions to offer Hilton an extension? If they both prove to be viable long-term starters with the Colts, be will the Colts be less likely to extend Hilton, or is the decision only dependent on how Hilton plays? Yeah, Steven, this is terrific. And shout out to all of our Twitter questions out there. A lot of good ones this week. I I I love them. I I don't know about you, Chris. This is your this is your third podcast, but I usually try to come in here with one or two topics I definitely want to hit on, but then I just get Twitter questions that I'm like, wow, these people's minds. Yeah. I, God bless our country. I mean, the, 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 these people got some creative minds here and stuff that I didn't even think of. Or yeah, the lens that the lens that each fan watches the game through oh, is awesome. It is awesome. So, Stephen, thank you for this. Um, I think again, this is a great question, and I, and I will say that the development of Michael Pittman and Paris Campbell should impact it. Um, will it be the total end-all, be-all? No, but um, I think there is something to where you got to look at Hilton and you got to look at the value of him. I'm writing, um, I'm, I'm saving some articles, and again, when the baby is born, folks, we will still have articles on this website. We have scheduled out articles. We will be good. St- st- the podcast is going to take a brief hiatus. Got to stay married. Got to continue to be a father. You might have some like three thirty a.m. articles, four fifteen articles. You never know. Maybe the soothing of me typing on the keys will help baby Bo and go back to sleep. Love it. I, I haven't you know seen that in, in any of these articles that I've read about being a father. But you know what? Who knows? We'll have to check that out. But um, I, I I'm working on our, an, an article. T. Y. Hilton with and without Andrew Luck, just taking a dive into his numbers. There's a stark contrast with Andrew Luck and without Andrew Luck. Mm-hmm. I want to say it's like 20 yards per game with Luck, without Luck. Um, his 100-yard games, I want to say like with Luck, it's like 35% of his games played. He has 100 yards. Without Luck, it's like 13%. Now, Outside of Matt Hasselbeck, Charlie Whitehurst, Scott Tolzien, Jacoby Brissett, Ryan Lindley, Josh Freeman, whoever else I'm missing, Brian Hoyer. Uh, yeah, 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 I mean. Yeah, it makes a little bit of sense. You know, th- there's a gap, <laughs> yeah. a wide gap. Phillip Rivers is a lot closer to Andrew Luck and better than Matt Hasselbeck, you would hope, you would think, than some other guys. So, can Hilton find that happy medium? Can Hilton get back to being – he basically – he's not a perennial Pro Bowl wideout without Andrew Luck. So that's going to impact the type of contract that he mm-hmm. potentially gets. Andrew Luck's not walking through the door anymore. Right. So if you're the Colts, you have got to sit there and think to yourselves, okay, are we paying him Pro Bowl money, number one wideout Pro Bowl money, or are we paying him like, okay, he's a one, but he's not a Pro Bowl one. That's, I think, what you're finding out in this season. 
Um, but Campbell and Pittman, they can greatly impact. I, I, I still think it will come down to Hilton offers something different. He's, he's been there before. He is the alpha. He's the one that strikes fear against the opposing coordinators and opposing DBs. Pittman and Campbell have to prove themselves. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a really good question. Um, I'd say more towards the money is where it'll impact things and less towards, bless you, Cheeks, and less towards um, exactly if you bring him back or not. I I would be hard-pressed if Hilton has a 14-game season of 800 yards not bringing him back. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, you still need three wide out, you know, you still, and why not two or three year deal and wide out is a, is a, always a need, but it's not like the most crystal pressing need flashing at you. But I think you, I think you're right when it comes to the money, because you can say all you want that you want to retire a Colt, but if, if the money's not lining up and you're getting a better offer somewhere else, yeah, you that are, is, that is a good point. You are young. You only, you can only make money for so long. You have a family. We'll I, see. I, and, and I hear you out on that, and I think that about so many people with contracts. I do think Hilton is slightly different. Oh, I'm not saying he's not. Yeah, I'm just but, saying but, but, I mean, trust, does talk. It, without a doubt, and especially at wideout. Yeah. <laughs> we know full well that it talks there. And the Colts are going to have to meet some threshold. But I do think with Hilton there is something to – and I know he lives in Florida a lot during the offseason. There is something to, to the fact of like, okay, I have been here my – my entire career. I've already signed that second contract. This is the third contract, those things. So it'll be fascinating to watch, and that is a really long answer to Steven's question, but it was a great question. All right, so, Kevin, every year there's a surprise cut at the 53-man roster cut down. Matt feels like it's going to be Autry this year. He knows that Autry offers valuable flexibility, but he likes what Muhammad brings on the rundowns at the defensive end position. He also feels like Banigou and Ture need to get as many reps as possible across from Houston in the speed package, which we touched on, if we are going to know whether or not they can be trusted as starters post the 2020 season. Also, Matt wanted to say congratulations to you and Maddie. Oh, thank you, Matt. Uh, Maddie actually has an older brother named Matt. Terrific individual. Matt Lubbock. <laughs> I really hope that my if we have a son being Matt Lubbers or even Ross Lubbers, that would be great, um, especially Ross's competitive nature on the golf course. <laughs> um. So we did kind of touch on this. Hmm. You know, I I I don't think it's going to be Autry. Like, do they really care about the money? Because if they really cared about the money, would Brissett still be around? Like, Autry is just here for 2020. He's not here for past the season. So, like, in terms of the books, you know, do you need it for 2020? I I, I don't necessarily think that you do. Um, and they and they like Autry. They like his versatility. It means a lot to him. Um, so I, I hear you out, and like there is a surprise cut, and it's a deep position group, and there is this veteran that makes some money. But I think there's some value to Autry. And I know Muhammad brings a lot on rundowns. I mentioned that earlier. But still, I, I just think from a three-technique standpoint, the versatility I think means a lot. Like, God forbid DeForest Buckner goes down. Mm-hmm. Now you're scrambling a little bit. So I think you just have to keep that in mind. And, and again, I, I just don't think the money means means that much to them. You know, he Matt asked, Matt mentioned a little bit more um, 
you know, about what you have from a Grover Stewart, Sheldon Day, you know, those uh, Windsor, the, the, the rookie out of Penn State, all of those guys. Um, it's so deep. It's so <laughs> deep. But still, I think Autry gives you something. And I just don't think it's a must. You know, money-wise, I don't think you need it here in 2020. And he's a free agent. So he comes off the books, and then you move forward with some of these younger guys. Well, we've talked about it a couple of times the last few podcasts. The return to the sporting world. David writes into us saying, in the world where athletes will likely be tested weekly, with lastly athletes testing positive, sitting out and being quarantined, a deep roster will be increasing or incredibly important. Pardon me. It also makes a capable backup quarterback that much more valuable, even if Brissett is overpaid. Who asked this one? This was David. David. Um. Yeah. Yeah, capable, sure. But a guy making that amount of money, I mean, that is um that's absurd. You know, it's 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 what, the twentieth biggest cap hit in the yep. NFL. It is um it is an incredible, incredible amount. And, and I understand David's question. Um I think that I I'll be curious to see how it happens, and I guess this is like our weekly COVID question of like Okay, a player tests positive. What happens to that player? Do you have, like, an, an active list for COVID players so your 53-man roster can still be at 53? Yeah. Do you – does he just count as an inactive for the week? Um, You know, how does that play out? Are you inactive automatically for two weeks? And now all of a sudden instead of having seven inactives, you have six each week. Um, and I guess the game day roster – you are dressing two more this season. So how do you know that there is, I feel like a lot of kind of dominoes that the NFL still needs to announce on this Mm -hmm. and those sorts of things. So yeah, I mean, having a deep roster, which I do think the Colts have better depth this year. uh, That is a big benefit to them and it's continuity from the same systems on both sides of the ball. But yeah, I mean, paying a guy the amount of money that you're paying Jacoby Brissett and, and I will never look, I have said this before, and let me say it again. Jacoby Brissett is a very, very quality backup. I mean, right up there with any backup in the NFL in terms of the type of player you would want to be the backup quarterback. It's the money. That's that's the head-scratcher for me. So the good news, it's one year, but um, still, David, I know you're my guy, but oof, that's a whole lot of cheddar. One of the loyal female listeners to the podcast, JJ, and JJ, I apologize for saying he a couple weeks ago, uh, wants to know, two-part question here. JJ's fiery. JJ's fiery. Joey knows full well. I love it. I apologize. Uh, Two-parter here. The Colts have lost the last five years on their season opener. Will they break the streak this year against Jacksonville? Yes, um, yes. Let's go there. Okay, we'll start there. Let's go there first. Yes. I mean, shit. (laughs) Six years is a long time. They better. I mean, man. And, and it is six. It's not five, JJ. It is, um, yeah, 2014, 2015, 2016, 17, 18, 19. Six years. It's crazy. Terrell Pryor was the quarterback. Oakland Raiders. I remember that game, yeah. Great. I think Toller had a huge pick or somebody had a huge pick late in that game. And Craig Toller. I mean, it's the easiest road game that you, that you play all year at, at Jacksonville. I know it'll be hot, but just win it. Sounds so easy. Second part of the question, 
Record-breaking defensive completion percentage was 70% the last two seasons. What is your prediction for 2020? Yeah, it has to be under 70%, and I think it will be. And and I go back to what I said earlier, Chris. I think it's mainly because of what you have up front. I just think a presence of, of Buckner, a healthier Ture, I think that disruption will impact timing and will cause a little bit more of, here's a pump fake, and now I'm holding on to it, not – Seven step, five step, three step, boom, boom, boom. Right. Um, that's where I think it'll be lower than seventy percent. It, it's it's got to be that depth, and then that gives your fairly young secondary some time for sure on the back end. Fair. I mean, think about it. O- outside of Xavier Rhodes, that is a good point. I mean, Hooker's twenty three, twenty four. Willis can't be. He's got to be right around that age. Rock is right around that age. Kenny Moore is probably a hair older. You know, unless Xavier Rhodes is thrown in there, that is a young secondary. Age-wise. Right. And that's the big thing I think Eberflus has mentioned of, like, which it's weird because, like, the Colts have really wanted to play their young defenders. It, it It is kind of a form of, like, it's almost kind of a form of tanking without saying the word tanking. Mm-hmm. They're like, we're going to totally rebuild this defense. We're going to play the young guys. We're going to live through their growing pains. Like, Rock, you seen last year, but by the Colts coaching staff, was an average starter. Like, they graded him out as an average starter. He played the most snaps of any, I think, defensive back on the team. Like, there wasn't even a thought to benching Rocky Seen all year. Like, they almost were relegated to, like, here you go, young guys. Go into the fire and just live with it. Even during, I can't remember the game, but there were, oh, what, he had, like, four pass interference. Oh, but they gosh. were like, no, you're staying out stay there. Stay out there. Like, no, stay in. They're all, it's like, Rudy, right. stay in, yeah. stay in. You are coming out, brother. You are staying in the game. We got nobody on the bench. So it's an interesting um, line of thinking. It's not something that you usually hear a lot of NFL teams admit, but, and I and I kind of agree with it. I'm kind of like, yeah, just throw the young guys in there. Um, and now it's time. Now it's time for them to show up. Kevin Wyatt writes us, if Vinatieri were want, were to want to retire instead of coming back for the whole season, do you think the Colts would let him kick one last field goal in the game just so he doesn't end on that monstrosity that was the Titans game? Wyatt. It's a strong name. i got a buddy of mine that has a baby, William Wyatt. Wow. Great individual. Um, okay, if Vinny were to retire, and oh, my gosh. I think Wyatt asked us the Vinny question last week. You remember that one? I forget which one it was, but Wyatt, Wyatt's big on Vinny, so he's he's doubling back here. No, I'm sorry, Wyatt. This is, I mean, what does he want here? He wants like a ceremonial kick. Just come out, for place one it kick. on a golden a golden tee, and <laughs> yeah. Wyatt, I I I love you, Wyatt. I appreciate you listening, but this is the NFL. I mean, this ain't this ain't Carmel Dad's Club. This is <laughs> National Football. You got 16 games. These games are too precious. You just don't. I I can't think of. Uh, I can't think of a team that's ever done this. And maybe I'm totally forgetting. But like, unless you're two and thirteen at the end of the season, you aren't just running guys out there to say, "Here's your standing ovation and here's your here's your ceremonial kick." I, I Wyatt Adventary is an incredible. I just saw he had a Sports Center commercial. They're they're. They're replaying all these oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. sports center commercials. He had his rings on. He couldn't go through the metal detect. Like, Adam and Terry, first ballot Hall of Famer. But, no, this is not – we don't need to just be um, 
No, this is not the manager dressing on senior night. This is not. This is the National Football League. Guys, sound like Chris Berman, like getting ready to, yeah. Jeez. That was a terrible game, though, that Titans. I was I was at that game. And, the block field. Yeah. And I, I feel bad because that is the last image. And there's a, there's a, it's awful picture, but a great picture at the same time because it tells the whole story of Vinatieri hands on his hips as the, punt block or kick block is happening and touchdown occurs and boy that was a huge game it will yeah that was a huge that could have totally changed the um the final month and a half of the season i'm sorry wyatt i know i sound like an ass and i just talked about how we all need to be better human beings but uh, no 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 chase mclaughlin or uh go blankenship come kick john writes in a follow-up question brian decker was hired after the 2017 drafts and seems the characters of the players that we have drafted has changed. Oh boy. John, this is uh this is our follow up on the 2017 draft of the Chris Ballard missing on those first four picks. Right. Um so let's add another excuse for the for, for the 2017 draft. Uh it, in all seriousness, John, you are correct. Brian Decker was and he is for those that don't know, he's the former army guy, um you know, big character, huge part of of Chris Ballard's um um draft process, mm-hmm. I guess. And there is something to that effect. I, I would say more with Wilson. I never got the impression that like Basham and Banner were like bad character guys. And like Wilson, I mean I, I don't think he's like bad character. I just think he was drafted at the age of twenty and there's just like a maturation process to it that's just not there. I, I do think character has probably been a little bit more emphasized in the recent drafts. And I think it all goes back to what I've said several times about this. What you like about Chris Ballard is when things don't go well or exactly according to plan or they don't lead to wins and losses on the field, he alters his approach. He is He has core beliefs, but the core beliefs are not like buried 100 feet under the ground and we're never going to see them. Mm-hmm. No, 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 no. Like, he can make some altering to that. Um, I'll dabble into free agency a little bit more after, you know, going 7-9. and nine. I'll address the skill group early in the draft after having a much more of a defensive focus and an offensive line focus in, in previous years. Um, but, I mean, folks, we can we can say, we all can say out loud, Chris Ballard missed on the first four picks of the 2017 draft. Missed is a light term. He gargantuanly missed. I don't know if that's a word, but <laughs> it is. This today. If Ryan Grigson makes that draft, people want Ryan Grigson. They want to go slash Ryan Grigson's tires. Like, okay, he missed. The great news, he hasn't really missed since then. Certainly didn't miss in 2018. Gosh, I feel like we get a question like this every week. It's like... He changed his approach. It's smart because if he didn't change his approach, who knows if he'd still be here having a job. But great news for the Colts. He changed the approach, and these recent drafts have had a crystal clear plan. The players drafted have had a similar kind of background and everything, and I think it's led to a much, much, much more solid foundation than uh, the previous regime had. Well, let's stay in that draft class and on a player that you just mentioned in that last answer with a question from John, what if the Colts would have selected Juju Smith-Schuster at the 46th pick instead of Quincy Wilson? Mm. I mean, could we do this every draft? 
Mm-hmm. You know, is this the game that fans play? Well, Joey Molinero would be pissed for one because Juju wouldn't be <laughs> on his football team. I mean, don't we do this? Don't we do this a lot? Yeah, the Pacers could have had Draymond Green. Yeah, I feel like everyone does. Kawhi that. Leonard. Kawhi didn't Leonard. Have to trade for George Hill. We could have Kawhi. Shouldn't trade a Kawhi. Um, you know, John. What if they drafted DeAndre Hopkins and not Bjorn Werner? <laughs> I, I mean, I hate to just throw more fire onto it. Um, Landon Collins instead of Philip Dorsett. Yep. You know what, John? They also drafted T.Y. Hilton when a lot of people didn't draft T.Y. Hilton. They also drafted Darius Leonard when Bleacher Report said this is an F. Mm-hmm. Letter, like, and continues to get left off of right lists list. and all it's of that crazy. stuff. Like, it's just a tough rabbit hole to go down. I, John, I, I hear you. I'm a fan. I do it with Notre Dame sports all the time. Notre Dame was the only – Clay Thompson was supposed to commit to Notre Dame. Kevin, stop it. John, have a drink. All right, question from Robbie, and he needs some life advice here, Kevin. Oh, boy. So he's been a Bruce Arians fan since his time in Indy, which I think most of us have been. Um, he's kept track with him when he went to Arizona and now in Tampa Bay, and he hoped that he would win and do well without you know hurting the Colts, that is. Yeah. And now he's not sure how to feel or even if he should feel anything now that Brady is going to be leading the team. Years of ingrained anti-Brady and Patriots propaganda has left him feeling confused. Can you and the people of Kevin's Corner mm. help him on how mm. he should feel? All right. Well, I, I, everyone in the room has got, has, got, has got to chime in on this one. Robbie, I think, is from the U.K., so Robbie's been really keeping track of, of Bruce. Bruce Arians, just an unbelievable individual. Um, I'll never forget him at the Colts Christmas party a few years ago, just throwing him back or a few years ago, hell, 2012. Just, just a great human being. Yeah. You talk about a guy that you want to hang out with. I love Arians. I love him. Um, my two cents in this market: if you cheer for Tom Brady, you can't. You can't drive in the state of Indiana. You can't. You you, you just aren't a Hoosier. You uh, people hate Tom Brady, hate him, and I don't think you can cheer for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers this year if you are a fan of the Colts. I think it's part of your um, part of your fandom. It's taken me until about two or three years ago to finally say that I respect Brady and mm, can respect and can respect what he was able to do for how long he's been able to do it. Good for you for finally getting there. But I'll, I'll but I will stop at respect. I will not cheer for Tom to win any meaningful ball games. Cheeks, what do you think? Should um should they be cheering for uh the Bucks? Should they get over it or should they say, you know what? Tom Brady, no. Chime in. Slide in there. Um, well, I think that, I don't know, like you guys just said, like Chris just said, Tom Brady is a, a really good competitor. Mm-hmm. Uh, not at golf, obviously. No. And I think that, I mean, you have to take those little wins. So it'd be tough. Is he a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan? Is that what he said? He he, he wants to cheer for Bruce Arians, their head football uh, coach. Right, right. But, you know, Tom's a QB, so he can't, does, you know, isn't sure if he can do that. Well, then, I mean, I say, yeah, cheer for the play calling, I guess, but not uh, the person throwing it because Bruce Arians, like you said, seems like a great coach, a great yeah. guy. Um, and They'll probably be successful, but, um, yeah. Nah, I wouldn't cheer for Tom. I think he, I think he's getting old, too, like we saw last season. So A little bit washed up. Cheeks right there. Cheeks right there on our ones and twos. Love it. Uh, um. Yeah, I would say no. Fans are going to say no. You can't do it, Robbie. Sorry. 
You can still wear the hat, the the yeah, whatever style hat that Wait, is. What do you call that? The little um, oh, it's got a name. It's like it's like a. Bruce, uh, now I'm Googling Bruce Arians. It's cat cat. <laughs> Go to the next question. All righty, Thomas. Uh, wants to know, with our team getting better and better... Kangle. You, Kangle. There you go. With our team getting better and better, do you think we will ever upgrade our conditioning coaches? It is so sad to see so many players... to So sad to see so many of our players get injured over and over again to the point that they retire because they don't want to spend another season rehabbing. Oh Thomas, that's a little aggressive. Um, It was updated. It was. You know, they, they, they've changed their strength and conditioning program. I would say it's probably been one of the biggest focuses Chris Bauer has had. Um, but having said that, they still rank really, really low in these injuries. So it's a fair question, but, um, you know, medical, the medical staff's the only thing that stayed the same. The, the nutritional program has been overhauled. Strength conditioning has been overhauled. I think a couple of times, um, we'll see how it's handled this year because I'm going to be, you know, how are guys going to be? No spring off season program. They've all Mm -hmm. been training on their own. They haven't had, you know, this direct kind of eyesight, if you will, or oversight from their medical staff that they usually have for nine weeks during the spring. So we'll see. Uh, you, you touched on this a little bit, or you wrote an article on 107.5thefan.com a few weeks ago talking about the rookies. Playing time. Playing yeah. time this mm-hmm. year. And John, to touch on that, wants to know, will any of the 2020 draft picks start game one of the season? That's a good question, John. You know, there's a chance none of them do. Having said that, I will stand by what I've said for weeks now. Michael Pittman and Jonathan Taylor will be making important plays for this football team in the fourth quarter very early in the season. But, you know, who knows? You go two wide receivers, and you might want Zach Paschal on the field to start the season because Zach Paschal can do no wrong. Like, you know, maybe Campbell will be on the field with Hilton to start a game. And and Frank said yesterday that he feels like there's an, I believe the 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 phrase was, an inherent responsibility to give Marlon Mack the early start, starting nod, which makes sense. And Marlon Mack's a thousand-yard rusher last year. I don't want to again lo- lose sight of that either. Uh, but yeah, go back to our rookie playing time pod for any of you that 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 missed it. It was probably a month ago. Um, so I will say Michael Pittman does start, and Jonathan Taylor is is probably not going to start. But there could and will be a time in 2020 where he plays. Excuse me, a starting role. Is there a loophole answer that Jordan Glasgow starts on kickoff team? Oh, gosh. Look at you. <laughs> Look at you. That was sneaky. Chris Presley getting sneaky on us here on Kevin's Corner. Um, Sure. God, that was sneaky. I mean, technically he's not a starter, but sure. The Glasgow family will be happy as they watch their three sons play in the NFL. Can you imagine having three sons play in the NFL at once? It's awesome. <laughs> My mom's, like, happy when that, you know, that like a listener compliments me on the radio, <laughs> like, and these people are in the NFL. Yeah, like like making CYO A team was like, yeah, all right, a big deal, yeah. right? And I was like, oh man, you know, I had to hit four three pointers, mom, and <laughs> like, oh, good for the Glasgow's. Tanner wants to know what your over under sack number for Trey is this year. He's kind of pumped to see him and see him back on the field, as I think we all are, and he remembers seeing some flashes from him early last year. Yeah, yeah, um. Okay, Tanner, this, this is a good one. Over to under sack number for Ture. I'll say eight and a half. Wow. I was going in between seven and a half and eight and a half. Okay. Got to factor in injuries. I think for his career, look this up if you don't he mind. He is five and a half. Five and a half. And he, 
four and eighteen, one and a half last year, but obviously injuries. So, and that's what I was getting at: five and a half sacks, and there's no way he's played more than twenty games. You know, last year he only played what five? He got hurt mm-hmm. week five, and I think he missed a game if I'm not mistaken in like September. So, yeah, I, I think you got to factor in injuries, which which Vegas will do. Um, if actually if you can find over under on Kamoko Turi sacks, then you found the most degenerate site in the world. So yeah, I'll say seven and a half. He's played half. he's played I'll eighteen say, games in his career. Five and a half sacks in eighteen games. It's not bad for a young guy who barely plays. I'll go eight, I'll go eight and a half, which m- might be a hair high. Okay. A uh, question for me about. Oh yeah, Tanner wanted to ask you about about the vault. Here, I'll ask you this one. Okay. okay. All right, this is for Chris from Tanner. Who does Jeremy Pruitt start week one in Norman? You tell me Tennessee's playing at Oklahoma week one. It's week two. Week two. Okay. We we got Charlotte as uh, as I would say a tune up game, but after losing to Georgia State at home last yeah. year, there it's it's they're no longer tune up game. You do no you no longer look past people no, as a Tennessee. You team. don't you don't, which is a sad state. Okay, uh, he says got a huge QB room. JG. Mauer, Bailey, and even Kaysom Hill. I thought it was Taysom Hill. Kaysom Hill transfer from Maryland. Okay. Will he stick with JG as the sixth man in quotes? Looking forward to hearing your response to a Vols question from time to time. GBO. What's GBO? Go Big Orange. Gotcha. Did I tell you I went to Neyland Stadium last year? No, you didn't. Not for a game. Okay. Um, Is it still called Neyland? Yeah. Yeah, it's got to be. My... Brother-in-law Matt Lubbers um, won Masters lottery tickets. That's right. So on our way down, um, Ross, uh, my father-in-law Mike, and myself, we uh, played golf in where do we play first? Louisville, and then we stayed in Knoxville. Okay. Then we played golf in um, some city in North Carolina, like Waynesville or something. But yeah, we stayed in Knoxville, and we tried to sneak into the stadium. We walked all the way around it, and man. It's massive. And I love how it's just kind of right there. It's right yeah. in the middle of it all, and that was really cool. Right. looks really old, super old from the outside. I think that we kind of started on the non-renovated side maybe. Um, but, yeah, that was awesome to see. It, it's on the bucket list to go to an SEC football game for me. It is quite an experience. I went a couple years ago uh, when I worked for Wave 3 in Louisville. We got to go down on the sideline because we covered all sports in Kentucky. So really? sideline against the Kentucky team that wasn't very good. Tennessee wasn't very good. Still packed stadium. And, yeah. And, and, and awesome to be a part of. Ross, you should have done that for your bachelor party, man. Go to an SEC football game. I'm sure that would have been an easy ticket for us to uh, for us to find. Uh, to answer the question, obviously, yeah, who this, you got? this isn't a, a, a Vol podcast. I say that you, I, I don't know just as much as Jeremy Pruitt doesn't know. Jared Garantano I thought was going to transfer because of all of the speed bumps and turbulence that he's hit at, at as his time at Tennessee. I think you now just have to pay attention to practices. See who they roll with week one against Charlotte. I think that's going to be your indicator. If Garantano goes out there, which I think he probably will, and doesn't produce in the first three to four possessions, you got to pull him for Maurer and get Maurer as many reps as you can before you head to Norman, like you said. So I love it. I love that these teams are playing. I hope these non-conference games happen. But um, Yeah, so do I. Notre Dame played in Norman back in 2012. Got a huge win on their way to the national title game, which they were competitive with Alabama uh, for a couple plays, and then... <laughs> I, I, I still stand by it. If Tyler Eifert should have caught that ball on third down, it, it should have been overruled the first series of the game. It's a totally different game. That's me being a fan. 
I was at the Stanford game that year. The goal line stand oh, in the rain. Yeah, the field. great game. Yeah. Uh, Stephon Taylor, I think, was their running back and when they got stuffed in the goal so. line. Yeah, that was a great game. God, David Shaw was pissed. Talk about a guy that was kind of falling off a bit. I know. All right, let's um, you, let's go relatively quick with with. I, th- I think we got a lot more left. So. All right. So Brat Zoo, uh, thought on adding one more pass rusher, Everson Griffin or Clay Matthews at linebacker. Very Justin Houston dependent right now. Uh, um, should we start there? Yeah. Let's yeah, he, he's got a couple. Okay, probably not. I think Ballard's all about let the young guys play. And again, they they love Turry. I understand the question, but from the Colts' thought, you know, thought process, I think they want to see these young guys. Offensive tackle depth is still a big concern, and no backup center on the roster. That seems a little odd to him. What's the plan? Yeah, that's very fair. I couldn't agree more with that. Backup center, maybe Javon Patterson, your seventh-round pick from last year. Danny Pintner, um, you know, could he play center for you? Um, you know, I think they feel like guard or center for him. Uh, third part of this question, teams very effective with blitz pressures and sack percentage last year despite low attempts. Can we expect more this season? Boy, I would hope, um, but I wouldn't hold your breath too much. I just think a more consistent rush from your front four or five, front four, I guess, um, and maybe when you bring one blitz, that's what they want and that's what they need. You know, because you want to commit a lot to coverage. Mm-hmm. I think in this scheme, that's what you want to do. Um, but those are all re- really good questions, Brad, too. Adam wants to know why we wouldn't play Brissett if Rivers goes down. If they have a shot to make the playoffs in the scenario, he'd rather put that $21 million cap hit to work. He knows that Eason is raw and needs playing time, but I'd he would just rather see him have a redshirt season, i.e. Carson Palmer. God, I forgot Carson Palmer was a redshirt guy. Uh, comparing Carson Palmer to Jacob Eason, though, a little bit, a little bit laughable, uh, a little bit different college resumes there. I believe Carson Palmer did this. <laughs> little, striking, little striking the Heisman. Don't think Jacob e- did Jacob Eason win a Pac-12 of the Week award. You know, I mean, like, right. number one overall versus one twenty-two overall, a little bit different. And Adam, this is in reference, I think, to my stance about mm-hmm. you know, start the clock on Jacob Eason if Rivers gets hurt. Obviously, they're going to play Brissett. And and I I kind of hear you out, Adam, of like you have the twenty one million cap it might as well do something with it. Um, so yes, I I if they have a shot to make the playoffs, you're gonna put the twenty. Yes, of course you are. You're gonna play Brissett. I know I'm in the wrong. I'm just stating my th- long term view of it uh, because Eason needs game reps. Tanner wants a way too early prediction from you in the twenty twenty one draft. What positions do you see the Colts addressing with their first two picks? future potential weak spots, or a position where a player walks? Um, okay, first two picks, 2021. Boy. Let's go uh, quarterback and offensive tackle. Wow. What are you surprised about, quarterback? Quarterback? Or tackle? Yeah, I mean, I just think Brissett leaves in free agency and Rivers could retire. Very true. Very soon. I mean, it's like, do you believe in Eason or do you not? You know, so that's just my thinking of like, to me, until long-term quarterback is solved, I will probably say quarterback very early in every draft. Like, that's just how much I think of the position. Offensive tackle, I just – I thought you should have taken one earlier than – well, you didn't even take one They didn't take one. Yeah, that, that was surprising. Yeah, Pinter is a uh, guard. Uh, I would, I'd throw a defensive end, though. I'd throw a corner in there. Maybe even safety, depending on what Julian Blackman looks like. Um, oh, boy, we're already getting into draft debates. I mean, hell, if Hilton walks wide out, I, I tight end, I, gosh, I, you got my juices flowing. 
Andy asks, will Hines see a decreased role on special teams slash more on offense with the role given to Isaiah Rogers? Well, uh, Andy, obviously Isaiah Rogers has to make the team. And I think that's where you get in the number crunch. Mm -hmm. of like, are you going to put Isaiah Rogers on the team and strictly put him as a returner and he'll be the sixth corner and he's your gunner? Okay. Or do you say, Hines is really only going to play third down. He can go play punt returner too. Give Hines more of a role, and then Campbell could be your kick returner. Mm -hmm. I, I kind of side with Campbell at kick return, Hines at punt return. And if you think Campbell means too much to your offense, put Hines at kick returner. Now, maybe you have room for Rodgers, and if you do, go ahead. But, like, you know, that's a 170-pound kick returner, punt returner that, you know, ball security better be – and maybe I have the Naeem Hines thought prop. We are a big Hines guy, by yeah. the way, on this podcast. I don't know if you knew that. Joey and I have always been big Hines guys. Um, I don't know. Maybe Zach Paschal back there. You know, he's trustworthy. Chester Rogers is gone, so you obviously right. have to replace that. But um, I, I don't think Hines will have a decreased role on special teams because I really don't think his offensive role will be that much more increased. He's going to play on third down. He has played on third down. Over under nine and a half interceptions this year from for Philip Rivers. That question was asked by Max. Max, great name. Um, over, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's too gunslinger. E. If you don't count the first two years in San Diego where he was a backup, he's only gone under that number two times in his career. Look at you, great stat. I don't think Joey ever looked up stats. You know, I just, I got to be prepared. That was awesome. That was terrific. I, give that to me one more time. Aside from the first two seasons in San Diego. When they started Breeze. When they started Breeze. Philip Rivers has only gone under nine and a half interceptions twice in his career. He's averaging 14 interceptions per year per if year. you count the 14 years that he's been a starting quarterback. Wow. I mean, yeah, that's definitely over. And I, if I'm not mistaken, I don't have him in front of me. Maybe, maybe you do. He threw picks with Reich. It's not like he threw, like, 2013, 2014, 2015 with Reich. He still threw interceptions. It's not like he was like seven picks per game or seven picks, per, uh, seven picks per game. That's like Nathan Peterman. Um, <laughs> seven picks per season. You know, it's it's not like he was that. So yeah. Um, Nick wants to know who will be the kicker week one. Mm. God. Excluding Vinatieri's one, one come yeah, out and kick a field goal. Exactly. Yeah. Let him ride off into the sunset and carry him out on a throne. Who do I see being the kicker week one? Boy, that's a great question. Uh, let's go with Chase McLaughlin. He impressed me late, late last season. I think there's some. It, it's not the great greatest leg in the world. I don't watch him and be like, damn, that dude's Justin Tucker. I mean, who is? But yeah. I think he's solid. He's got a nice little pre uh, pre kick routine as a golfer. I have a horrible pre-shot routine. I don't even know if I have one. Um, but um, I like. I just like how what he did last year. He came in the building. He just just made kicks and did his job. And and that's tough shoes to fill. I mean, oh. you're walking into kind of a crap shoe oh almost. Oh, my gosh. That's, yeah. I'm, I'm sweating thinking about it. We touched on this in the beginning a little bit obviously, with the, the intros. But Garrett wants to know, outside of Okariki, Willis, and Campbell, 
Do you see a surprise performance by any Colts this season? You know, if it's a good question, Garrett. Um, what about Marvell Tell at corner? Now he's got to get the opportunity. That's that's the hard thing for me. I'd love to see, um, for the future of this franchise, you'd love to see Banigou flash a little bit more. Show that because remember, Justin Houston's in a contract year. Turry flashing is not enough for the future of that defensive line group. You need Banigou to flash a little bit. Uh, maybe a healthy Trey Burton. You know, we haven't talked yeah. about him a whole lot. I'll have something posted on him tomorrow morning. Check that out, 1075thefan.com. Thanks to the Bears for paying for him. Yeah, that's absurd. That's Yeah. So, yeah, those are some, some of the names. All right, Forge and Blue, who's a big Colts fan living in Tennessee, he wants to know, or they want to know, what's more realistic. Don't want to say he. Don't want to. You, you never know. <laughs> uh, what is more realistic to happen in 2020? Uh, Taylor runs for 1,000 yards. Pittman Jr. has 1,000 yards receiving, or Phillip Rivers has 4,000 passing yards. Again, loves the podcast. These questions I love. These are great questions. I love these debatable questions. Um, Rivers, 4,000 yards should be a given, Agree. in my opinion, even with how much you want to run it. But boy, this is tough. Again, back um, to the stats on Rivers. Only three times has he gone under 4,000 yards in his career. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, honestly, nowadays quarterbacks just kind of fall out of bed. You start 16 games, unless you're incompetent, you're going to throw for 4,000 yards. I mean, he almost threw for 5,000 last year, 4,600. Rivers did? Yeah. Damn. And you got to think, for only going three years under that 4,000, you had LT, you had Melvin Gordon. Like, you had good running games, and that still didn't prevent you from passing. It's weird. They had great running back talent. They just never ran it that well. It's just... You would hope that here that's going to change. Okay, Jonathan Taylor, to get 1,000, I feel like he's going to need an injury to back for like two to four games. And obviously Taylor stay healthy. Right. So now I will say this. There's definitely been more rookie running backs that have gone over 1,000. I mean, off the top of my head, Fournette I think was definitely over 1,000 as a rookie. Mm -hmm. Phillip Lindsey, Saquon. Um, homeboy out in, um, gosh, Oakland last year. He tore up the Colts or had some had a good game against Colts. Uh, Jacobs. Jo- Josh. Yeah. Yeah. Josh Jacobs. Josh Jacobs. Yeah, from Alabama. So I think what I'm saying is rookie running backs are more prevalent than rookie wideouts getting mm-hmm. 1,000 yards. A.J. Brown did it last year. I, I think before that it might have been Michael Thomas. So, um, but, man, then you think all the, you know. I think an injury would have to happen at wideout or running back for either of those two guys to get there. A great name here, Sugar Cookies, wants to know, how do you think Philip Rivers will perform with a better offensive line and a worse receiving core? I love Cookies. Absolutely love them. Shout out to Cookies. Cookies in general or the or the person asking the question? Well, I love Sugar Cookies. I, I don't know this person, um, but I love cookies. I'm probably more of a chocolate chip guy. No one loves desserts more than my brother, Ryan Bowen. <laughs> no one. No human being loves desserts. Him and his fiance. Kristen Kremp, shout out to Chris. They're they're getting married next month. Um, Kristen, terrific individual. Um, they've been to every ice cream place in the city. Every ice cream. I mean, they they should work for Yelp and just rate ice cream places. I I want a sugar cookie after this podcast, and it's ten twenty in the morning. <laughs> okay, how do I think Philip Rivers will perform with a better O line and a worse receiving core? Sugar cookie. Just saying, it makes me smile. Um. 
I think is a really good question. This is the debate with Rivers. No more Mike Williams, no more Keenan Allen, but yet he's got this great offensive line. How's that going to work? Man, um, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Keenan Allen and Mike Williams, top three wide receiver duo in the NFL? I mean, when you have both over 1,000 yards, you're, yeah. I mean, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, uh, boy, I know I'm forgetting some others, definitely forgetting some, you know, but damn, I mean, those two are, whew. I mean, Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey, I know they aren't two wideouts, but like, you know, what I'm saying is the personnel is was great at the receiver position, at the top end of that receiver position. It goes back to something that I think I posted late last week. There is so much pressure on this offensive line group in Indianapolis and even the receivers, more so the O-line, to make sure Phillip Rivers looks good. Phillip Rivers needs help. He needs some help. That O-line has got to be healthy and elite, and the wideout group has got to do more of its part than it did last season. So I think Phillip Rivers will be a top 15 quarterback in the league this year. I don't think he'll be top eight. I, I think he'll be kind of in that, you know, 10-ish mm-hmm. range. But, um, again, the O-line and the wideout group, they got to do their part, man. Sean, Sean asks, with a 17-game season on the horizon, how important will it be to draft offensive linemen within the first three rounds every year going forward? Chris, these are the questions I'm talking about. Where, where do these people think of this stuff? I, I, that thought would never even cross my mind. It's a terrific, it's a terrific point. Yes, 17-game seasons, do you need more offensive linemen? Um, sure. Yeah. yeah. And I I think the Colts looked into um, – they, they were looking into some offensive linemen. They did not totally disregard that position in the draft. Obviously, their actions did besides Pinter. But um, they – you know, if Josh Jones would have been there at 75, I, I know I've said that before. I think he went to Arizona a few picks before. I'm curious how, how that would have gone. But, yeah, that is a good point. And good news, that falls in line with Chris Bowers' thinking. Uh, Joseph, have the Colts ever announced a replacement for Rex Hogan? Mm, I don't think so. For those that don't know, Rex Hogan was um, co-assistant GM. I think that's what is. Or no, I think he was VP. I want to say he's VP of player personnel here in Indianapolis. Um, now he's assistant general manager with the Jets. That's that's your Jets connection. He was with Chris Boward and Ed Dodds here for quite some. I don't think so. I think Kevin Rogers, who's been a longtime scout. Really good guy. He's been promoted to director of pro personnel. So I guess that's maybe like third in line, right? Ballard one, mm-hmm. Ed Dodds two, Kevin Rogers would be three. I think so. Maybe I'm forgetting somebody. Question we touched on a little bit before as well. Colts Law asked, what do you feel the number one change the Colts organization can do to prevent the laundry list of injuries they have each year? Shout out to Colts Law, Lawrence. That's my guy. Um, great question. I got no freaking idea. <laughs> I mean, I don't. You know? Like, is there a whisper out there? Where's the injury whisper? You know, who can make all these stop? They've exhausted so much so many resources. I I I don't know. I, I wish I had a better answer. You need a consulting group come in and y'all mm-hmm. sit around a room and you analyze it like none other. I don't I wish I had a better answer. I, I always give answers to questions. That's the number one rule on Kevin's corner. But, man, Colts Law, I'm sorry. I don't. I don't got it. I'm going to butcher the name here, and I apologize in advance. I don't know if it's Dara, Dara. 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 Dara from Ireland, if I'm not mistaken. Love it. 
all, all listeners all over the place. We do. It's we, outstanding. We really do, man. It, it's great. It's I mean, if you looked at like our demographics um, via the listenership, mm-hmm. like they throw this map out on Omni, it is really cool. Like all the countries and continents, to be honest with you, that mm-hmm. uh, that people listen. Well, Dara, uh, Dara wants to know what's been the coolest standout moment for you being a Colts beat reporter. Wow. Um, honestly, probably going to your side of the world, going to London for that game. Yeah. Uh, terrible game. But, um, yeah, we had dinner at Kensington Palace on Friday night yeah, before that game. Awesome. I mean, it was uh, going up and down Regent Street, and that was really, really cool. Um, Jim Mercer's loyalty to his employees was just outstanding. I, I would say that. You know, game atmospheres, I absolutely love. I'm like a sucker for that stuff. Like like I told you earlier, I want to go to an SEC game. Yeah. You know, I'm like I'm a sucker for, like, the atmosphere environment. So I don't want to, like, overlook any of that. Now, the NFL, it's not the same environment as college football, in my opinion. But it's still really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say some of the Hall of Fame stuff a few years ago when Marvin went in and Tony went in the same year, was able to go to their after party, and that was like, wow. I mean, a who's who of, yeah. like, you just turn and gold jacket, gold jacket of, you know, all these former, I guess, Hall of Famers, I should say, that are at the party, and I'm just kind of like, oh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm a bus boy. <laughs> Excuse me. I'm just not trying to hit the ice sculpture over right. there of uh, of Marvin or whatever. Um, yeah, that stuff. Going to some of the owners' meetings have have been cool as well. All right. Very fortunate. Very, very blessed. Smooth Smith, which is an outstanding name as well, over or under 24-and-a-half touchdowns this year for Phillip Rivers. I'm sure you got the numbers, Chris. Um, I'm going to say over. I just don't think 24 touchdowns is a whole lot for a quarterback. I, did, I didn't crunch the numbers on this one. Okay. I, uh, I just looked at the numbers. and slacking based, as we get late in the podcast. I know, but based on just the eyeballs of looking at the numbers, seeing how many years it was in the 30s or over the 24-and-a-half, which was most of it, that's why I'm going slightly over. Okay. And the only reason I even say slightly is because of the amount of interceptions Rivers has thrown the last couple of years increasing, that if he continues to stay on that trajectory of throwing that many interceptions – and the way that we have a double-headed monster in the backfield, I think he still goes slightly over 24 touchdowns. I think touchdown numbers are hard to predict, too, because, like, you can get in the red zone and just, like, weird stuff happens. Yeah. I mean, like, and not to bring up just a sour point for 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 my for my guys here um, that I gambled on the Super Bowl with. Um, they know who they are. I won't, I won't reveal their names on air if they don't want them mentioned. We bet on Damian Williams to score the first touchdown in the Super Bowl. FanDuel gave some great odds. Yeah. Damian Williams, they run that funky fourth down play where, like, they lined up, like Michigan lined up in the 1960 Rose Bowl or right. something like that. It was a weird kind of full house looking backfield. And I swear Damian Williams got in live. Now, they made the right call. He, do- he doesn't get in. So then he goes to the bench. So then they bring in the other Williams kid. He comes in, he gets it. Luckily, he's stuffed. So now I'm sweating. I'm saying, Damian Williams, get back in the game. He goes in the game. Mahomes runs that little short field option, and Mahomes doesn't pitch it. Yeah. I'm like, pitch it. He's (laughs) wide open. You can't take the hits in the Super Bowl. So that was a gambling rant. It's also a rant of, like, who the – who knows what happens in the red zone? Quentin Nelson touched the football one time. Mm -hmm. Touchdown numbers can be weird. 
uh, a thinker here. So Sam asked, if you could drop yourself into a historical event in world history and live that event out, what would that event be? Tell you what, Sam, in 50 years, some people might say right now. I don't, um, I don't think anyone's dropping themselves into Well, you know what I mean, yeah. like, in terms of history. I mean, I, I was saying to my wife the other night, like, our baby is about to be born into one of the crazier times of my lifetime. Yeah. Um, 9-11 would certainly be up there. You know, I just out of curiosity, and I am kind of a sucker for history and, like, mm-hmm. geography. I kind of like that stuff. Um, not because this would be a great time to live and thrive in the world, but like I would be curious to be in the world wars or like the civil war or uh, pandemic related, like the Spanish flu. I've, I've read a lot about that. Um, so yeah, I'm a nerd for like the history stuff. And so I would kind of want to see just like how the world reacted back then. But great questions. I thought tying to this weekend with the, the space launch. Yeah. I put myself back into the space race and yeah. even and even watching it this weekend and how we've had all these technological advances you're nervous because you don't know what 100%. could happen and you fear you you don't want to fear that anything does go wrong but you're about to send men into space. flying into space it's cr- i was texting my dad over the weekend about that um my dad's a huge nasa astronaut guy he um he applied to be the teacher in space Back oh, in the yeah, late yeah, yeah. 80s. And unfortunately, that obviously was tragic and, yeah. and horrific. And then the Challenger exploded back in, I want to say it was like 87, something like that. So him and I were just exchanging some messages. He was one of the, whatever, 10,000 applicants. And he w- went down to Cape Canaveral, I think, for the launch before the Challenger. But, um, yeah, that would be really cool, um, certainly. Because it was like, yeah, that is – that. That's a great one because that is a rate. I mean, that's like a competition, which I love competition as well. So, um, yeah, great question, Sam. Nick wants to know your thoughts on the defensive line rotation and playing time with all the talent at the position. Okay. um, Starters, Houston, Grover Stewart, DeForest Buckner, and let's go with Autry on the rundowns. I think the pass downs, you take Stewart off the field, you bring Ture on the field, and then you need one more rusher. Maybe Autry stays. Maybe Lewis. Maybe Banigou. I mean, you're going to have to have some guys like play inside. If you were going to throw Banigou out there as Justin Houston playing inside, you know, that's mm-hmm. maybe not ideal. Um, Muhammad, Sheldon Day. I mean, you, you're going to rotate so many of them. Windsor, maybe the, you know, the, the sixth-round pick out of Penn State. I, I went back and watched the DeForest Buckner Super Bowl tape for an article that I'm going to write here. And, I mean, Buckner plays a whole lot. He comes off the field like every third series. But I'm not sure if I've seen a defensive tackle have that type of stamina late in a game before. I mean, that dude was just, he's six, seven, three hundred pounds. Mm-hmm. And he's moving like he's a linebacker on the fourth quarter. He had, a, he had the pressure on Mahomes on the third and 15, which... Um, is a play he probably doesn't want to see again if he would have been there half a second later. I think last year the Colts like rotated every series on their D line. Maybe not that often, but kind of like that. I'll be I'll be curious to see how that goes. Uh, last question for the podcast: Joshua wants to know: Do you think they'll ease Jonathan Taylor in this season, or will he get a significant amount of carries right away? Yeah, Joshua, it's a great question. What what do you consider significant? Double digit. 
more. You know, I I don't know. I think he'll get double-digit carries from the onset. I don't think he will. I don't think he'll be eased that much. I just don't think you can. Mm-hmm. You know, it's you got to get quick return on him. And I mean, at that position, and given the collegiate resume he produced, find me a more NFL ready-made prospect out of the last X amount of years. I mean, if he's not ready-made, why the hell you drafted him? You know, it's yeah. like you got to play him and you got to play him early. But it's a great, it's a great problem to have. Great problem to have. All right. Is that it? That's it. That's it. That concludes the Twitter questions. Um, tons of them. We, we, we appreciate y'all sending them in. Um, thanks for listening to this edition of Kevin's Corner. Obviously, um, everyone stay stay safe out there. Thanks for my two- or three-minute rant that I went on earlier in the podcast. I know full well that you all listen to this for a break from the reality. So if you fast-forward through it, um, I understand you. Hopefully you didn't. And just be a good freaking human being. Chris Presley, Evan Cox, Cheeks. Thanks, man. Thanks for being in here. Um, hopefully next Tuesday morning. We'll see. We'll see. We're, we're, we're at the mercy of baby Bowen right now. Appreciate all of you that have messaged me about that. Um, several fathers have messaged me, and I really, really take your advice very seriously, and, uh, and I appreciate that. So for Chris Presley, I'm Kevin Bowen. Everybody have a great week, and uh, thanks for listening to this edition of Kevin's Corner.